You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. My name is Gabe. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, it's my privilege to be able to continue um, with you in the book of Genesis. And uh, before we begin, I have a question for you. How many of you have uh, done something when you were really young or, you know, through life for which you got into a bit of trouble for? Come on, there we go. Honesty. Okay, now there's a little more honesty. Would you tell someone next to you what you did? No, just, just kidding. You don't have to do that. <clears throat> yeah, someone's like, oh, you juicy information. Uh, but, but I will tell you one of mine, so you guys can talk about yours later. Um, when I was, I don't know, maybe 9, 10, uh, we, my, my dad and I, we went on a trip on a motorcycle, and uh, it was in Paraguay. Uh, this these are pictures of that town today. I think it's, it's called Mbutuu, and there, I don't remember there being a blacktop there back then. But uh, we stopped at a, at a restaurant and a gas station, so I don't remember if they were both one thing or not. But uh, one thing you, you should know about traveling in third world um, is that if you're going anywhere for a long period of time, make sure you take toilet paper with you. <laughs> okay, so um, I forgot that little detail. Um, so we, were, we took a break, we stopped, we ate something, and here we are, at, you know, so I go to the bathroom, and you know, generally bathrooms are just this hole in the ground, you know, there might be a curtain or something like that. Well, this was a decent bathroom. It had a toilet, it had a, a pedestal sink, you know, nice, and then a mirror, and you know, I did what I had to do, and then it dawned on me, I don't have any toilet paper. So what am I, so I start looking around for something, and above the mirror, I saw a roll of toilet paper. There was one problem. I was short. <laughs> I still am short, yes. <laughs> um, but, so I had to, uh, you know, I had to get it, so I, I get up on the pedestal, and, and I, I, I reach up, I grab, I reach up, I actually touch the thing, and it falls, and just as it falls, the whole thing cracks. And I go to the ground, I land in the sink, you know, um, but it's on the ground and I broke it. And so uh, I get done with what I need to do and I figure I better cover this up. And so I pick up the sink and I put it back on the pedestal and it finally settles in place and, and it looks good. I think I'm going to get away with this, you know, and I walk out. By the time I get to my dad, my conscience is just eating me up. I can't believe you just did that. And so I get out to my dad, and he says, okay, let's go. And so I get ready to get on the bike, and I'm like, dad, I need to tell you something. What? what, what what's going on? I broke the sink. He says, what sink? I mean, the, the one in the bathroom. It's like, really? You know, he could have said, let's go, but he said, you know, um, go show me. Let's go. And so let's go talk to the owner. So um, we go inside, and uh, 
I, I, we go find the owner, and the owner is sitting in this chair. He's a big man. He's got his, his button-down shirt open. It's hot, and his belly's hanging out everywhere. And he looks like he's chewing on something. He doesn't look like a friendly guy. And here I am, and I have to fess up to what I did. Well, um, this is a story. I'll get back to the rest of that story later. But this is a story about uh, difficult conversations, about, about messing up. We've all messed up in life. Um, and, and then it's about the conversation afterward. So as we get into this, before we get into this, a few weeks ago, uh, Gary said that sometimes we tend to talk about, or talk about God, but we don't talk to God. So I want to give you a chance right now. Um, as you think about your life, is there something that you have done in the past or something you're going through that you haven't really talked to God about? And maybe you need to. So before we begin, before God talks to us, would you, um, right where you are, just in your seat, would you just bow your head and in silence just have a, 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 a conversation with God? Would you tell him, here's, and maybe you don't know, maybe you're not even sure, but just ask him, is there something we need to talk about, God? Is there something we need to deal with? Would you do that right now? Go ahead. Dear Father, uh, I don't know what uh, situations each person comes with. I know my own. And uh, Lord, I just want to ask you that you would speak uh, your truth. Because there are so many voices that want to define me and define what happens uh, Lord, I thank you for who you are. Would you speak to us? In Jesus' name, amen. Now in this story, God had clearly warned them. The day you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. What does death look like? Perhaps you've been to a funeral or a memorial uh, loved one, and you come and there's a body, but there's no life. And it's, it's really, really sad. Um, is that what death was back then? He said, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Was it just physical death? Or was there more? Did they die? And if so, what did that look like for Adam and Eve? Today we kind of, we get a good look at that. In Genesis chapter 3, 14 through 24, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. 
And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way of the tree of life. What a relational breakup. If you've... uh, We've all probably experienced some kind of relational breakup, either a child uh, going off to college or, uh, you know, maybe it was a teenage crush and then it broke up. I don't know. But relational breakups hurt. They hurt. And especially this one. Here we have Adam and Eve. They ran around the garden with God in ways that we don't understand. They physically and spiritually connected with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They spent time, relational time with him. Last week, Jay mentioned, he kind of gave us a picture of what Adam might have looked like, you know, when, when God could have named the animals, but he chose to have Adam do it. He put him to work. So Adam is probably having this great time having the animals come by, and he's naming them, giving, you know, naming the animals, kind of like a kid playing with Legos. He's having a lot of fun. And, and God, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit are watching, and they're just enjoying the moment. This was a small picture of that relationship. It, could, it would have been a, a great Facebook post, you know, only no Facebook back then. Um, e- even though man was warned not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Uh, we saw that man chose to disconnect from God and do things on his own, apart from God. He clearly disobeyed. God could have turned and walked away. He could have said, you know, you want existence without me? Okay, I'm gone. And if God had just left and his goodness had left with him, man would be in a very, very dark, uh, even darker place. Instead, we see a conversation. And in this conversation, the first thing that we see is that the enemy is cursed. And it says, cursed are you, and God looks at the serpent, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals, but there's a curse. If you remember how the book started when 
uh, on that first Genesis message by Gary, he mentioned that this was written to the Israelites while they were wandering through the desert. I wonder what, have you ever thought, what would the Israelites think uh, of this story of a serpent deceiving Eve? Especially considering that in their own wanderings through the desert, they complained against God and against Moses, and when they did that, God sent fiery serpents to bite them. And when they were bitten, many Israelites died. And so they went crying to Moses, Moses, please help, go talk to God, ask him to heal us, ask him to save us from these snakes. And so God had an interesting way of saving them. He said, Moses, I want you to take a serpent, I want you to nail it to a pole, or put it, a bronze serpent, put it on a pole and hang it up, put it, put it up in the sky. Put the pole in the sky and uh, stand it up. And if anyone looks at the serpent on the pole, they will be healed. Could you imagine you're bitten by a snake and someone says, all you have to do is go look at a bronze serpent and you're going to be fine. That would sound absurd, ridiculous. You know, where's the medicine? Is there anything? <laughs> you know, um, but if it works, <laughs> try it, yeah. And so... Um, Moses puts this serpent up, and people look at the serpent. The moment they, they trust and look, they're healed. I don't know when you look at this curse, you know, it's talking about the snake, and it's saying it's gonna, you're going to crawl on your belly, and you're going to eat dust. You're going to be the most humble of all the animals, or maybe it really means you're going to lose all your legs and arms. I don't know. If that was the case, I wonder why lizards and crocodiles ended up with keeping them, you know, they're maybe a little holier than the snakes, I, I have no idea. Um, but, but what we do know is that there was a, a, serp, a snake behind it, and, and this one is Satan. Satan is behind this serpent. And so, um, you know, in this little passage, in, in, this, in what God says, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And Eve's maybe listening in on this. And could you imagine her just thinking, did, did you just say offspring? Did you just say her offspring? I, they've just messed up. You will surely die. And here, God's making a promise. There's a, a hidden blessing, only it's not going to be so hidden because then God says he, not just you will have offspring, but out of the offspring there will be a specific he that will crush your head, speaking to the serpent, and you will strike its heel. Um, I grew up in Paraguay, and in Paraguay if we ever ran into a snake, what we would normally do with a snake is you'd kill it because there are many poisonous snakes and you didn't want a poisonous snake biting your dog or your cow or whatever, or people, uh, kind of important too. Um, but so you would kill it. In order to kill a snake, you take a stick and you don't hit it in the, you know, in the body or in the, it's all tail, I guess. Uh, but, you, but you hit it on the head because, well, that's the only way to, get, to stop a snake. Actually, I, I stuck my finger in the mouth of an eel once. That was a terrible idea. It was just the head. We had put it in the pot, and I stuck it in, and it bit down. So anyway, that's a different story. Um, but this he, this descendant, would, would crush the serpent's head, and he would crush, uh, he would 
he would bite his heel. This is a very clear anticipation of what would happen about 4,000 years later. When Satan enters Judas, and Judas betrays Jesus, and Jesus is crucified on a cross, the work of Satan striking his heel. And about this very scene of the cross, later Paul would write this. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. I love that word spectacle. What's a spectacle? Yeah, that's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to show off. And this is going to be, uh, it's going to be a scandal. It's going to be big. And so I could just imagine this picture. If you kind of take back the curtain and you're watching what's happened, Judas enters, uh, Satan enters, Judas, Jesus is finally hung on the cross, and Satan just goes into this party mode where he's celebrating how he killed the Messiah. I got rid of him. We did it. And all of his demons, are, they're chanting, they're rejoicing, only to find out, I don't know if it was three days later or not, but to find out, Jesus is standing there. They're in the middle of the party and suddenly they look over and Jesus is standing there and says, yeah, you did it. You did exactly what you were supposed to do. Would you take a look at the cross? And Satan looks over and, and, and looks at the cross and what he sees is this giant list of my sins and your sins hanging there. He disarms the devil he takes away his, the power that he has over us. He takes it away. Um, it doesn't mean the devil is powerless, but the ultimate power that he has is gone. And so the Bible says he isn't completely powerless, that he as a uh, prowling lion goes around seeking to devour us. This is what's happening today. It happens in our very lives as I just think about my story and I think about the stories around us, man, um, what the devil's after, he, he's after our relationships. The first relationship he really wants to tear apart is the one between God and us. The first thing he did with Eve was he said, you know, did God really say? If I can just make you question your relationship with God, I can feed you other things, but that's the first line of attack. He's out to get you and separate you from your relationship with God. Then he's also after your relationships with others. He's out to destroy those, to make them not, not operate on his principles in the way God would have us live them. He offers us ambitions that we pursue and then they don't pay in the end. He also offers us, offers us the pursuit of, of pleasures that end up becoming empty. He wants us not to think about God, to not talk to him. He wants us to comprom comp compromise the values God has for our relationships, God's best for something far less. And he wants us to pursue every kind of pleasure, allowing them to replace any time we might have 
instead of seeking first the kingdom of God and his right living. Gary pointed out last week that he is a thief. He's out to rob us from our identity and keep us from a relationship with God. What God says about us, he wants to change that and say, no, I have something else that you should believe, a different identity. He separates us. He breaks relationships. One of the things I absolutely love about this story is this, is that God could have just walked away, but he is so gracious. He is a God who is gracious and he chooses to speak with Adam and Eve. There isn't any stonewalling like we might tend to do in our relationships. Oh, I'm offended and I'm not gonna talk to you anymore, right? Or, or any condemnation. There's, oh, you messed up. There isn't... He could have pointed the finger. They would have deserved it. But we don't see it. Forget you. He didn't do that. God had every right to come and chew them out. I just don't see that. What I see is a loving father giving some very painful news to his children. A father who is rejected by his prodigal children. And he's thinking about all the children that are to come. He was probably even thinking specifically about you and me in this conversation. And the, the, the first to the, to the woman, he says, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Imagine What would it have been like for Eve to raise children in Eden? No painful birth. No epidurals. Oh, that needle's huge. Sorry, ladies, if you haven't had kids, I shouldn't have said that. Yeah. No C-sections. No worrying if your child might catch a cold or if you're listening to them at night and they already have one and you wonder if they're going to take the next breath. Not hearing no as one of their first words. Them not getting bullied in schools. Not worrying about whether they're getting in with the wrong crowd or listening to polluted music or filling their minds with who knows what on the internet. No children who run off and you don't hear about them for weeks and they've left their child with you. Those are real stories. Raising children Thank you. Raising children in Eden was an unexperienced reality. It wasn't going to happen. And Eve lived in Eden. She knew exactly what it was like. And she wasn't going to get that anymore. Instead, she would be raising children uh, in brokenness. And we know what that's like. Um. What a difference. Could you imagine the feeling of guilt, not just in this moment, 
But in years to come, as she's going to raise her children and see the things they do and just the surroundings they live in, just the feelings of, of guilt over this, this brokenness, this, oh, the consequences. And it doesn't end here. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. If you think of Adam, the Adam she knew in the garden, the guy who looked in her eye when she spoke, he would not look away. The guy who listened and heard her heart when she spoke would hear one thing and understand something completely different. He would get defensive and insecure and there would be power struggle. When she wants a leader, he will be passive. Or men might become domineering. Uh, I remember a time when in Paraguay, this is a macho culture, and that's not a good thing. Um, but this couple went by our house, and uh, the man had his cowboy hat on, nice jeans, nice boots. He was riding a horse. And Paraguayans take pride in their saddles. Their saddles, like you got a little bit of leather underneath, but then you ride on a cushion of uh, sheep's wool. It's like riding on a cloud. And so he's, you know, just bounding across. And his wife is walking with flip-flops, and she's carrying a baby. And my mom happens to walk out, and she sees this. Oh, she lit up. <laughs> she's just a little lady, but she lit up, and she started talking to him and just laid, you know, just chewed him out. And uh, he couldn't really do anything. He's up there on the horse, and my dad was around. And he was bigger than he is, so yeah. Um, but that, what a picture of brokenness. And here's, here's Eve, and there's Adam, and he's broken. He's not the same guy anymore. This imperfect woman, this imperfect man, and the relationship isn't going to be anymore about what's good for us. As a team, it's going to be about what I want. No, it's about me. And so marriage is broken. Adam is broken. And that's what this is about. He's a broken husband. And, and God goes on to speak to Adam. Adam, because you listen to your wife. You know, this, this isn't any excuse for you to go home and say, hey, dear, guess what? I don't have to listen to you because look what happened to Adam. No, that, that's, that's not what he's saying. The rest of this, the rest of this verse uh, is, you know, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. God very clearly told Adam. He knew better. He listened and he participated. He was part of this. So because you chose to do this, Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. Man, the, the ground is cursed. His work, which is now a requirement for sustenance. It wasn't before. He was never going to die. But now it's required to, to, to sustain yourself and, and it's cursed and it would be toil. It would be burdensome. The ground wouldn't be like the ground in the garden that cooperated with him. It would be toil to get it to produce until his body returned to the very ground. Imagine working the ground, working the garden, thinking, yeah, 
You're my home. That's where my body ends up. The garden didn't have thorns and thistles and the display of brokenness was gonna come. But in the middle of all this, that's kind of the end of the God speaking to them. And it seems like there's a response. And the response is this. It says, Adam calls her Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. Kind of a takeaway. Could you imagine him embracing her? Guess what we just heard? You're the mother of all the living. Life, it doesn't, the story doesn't end here. There's hope, there is a blessing in the fact that is, this isn't the end. And then uh, it goes on and it says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. I love this because if you go back and you think about Genesis 3, 7, you know, when they had just taken from the apple, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. I wondered as I read this, what does a fig leaf look like, you know? Uh, and I, thought, I found a picture. That doesn't look like adequate clothing material. <laughs> and here they are, they're having a conversation with God dressed in this. Have you ever had a conversation with someone when you don't feel very decent? It's, anyway, I, would, I wouldn't know really. Um, but, but here, they're having a conversation with God and they're embarrassed. If you actually go back, it says when God came looking for them, they, first they were afraid, they hid, and they were embarrassed because they were naked. This clothing was not adequate. And yet what we see, God in his graciousness, he takes an animal's skin. I'm assuming that wasn't a surgery. I'm assuming there was a sacrifice. And there was a clear picture. There was death. And he takes and he clothes them. And, and Here, the one who knows your every thought, the one who knows all of your mess-ups chooses to sacrifice the life of an animal. It's our story today, the God who knows our every thought, who knows how many times we've failed and how many times you will fail. He chooses to sacrifice the life of his own son to take away our inadequate attempts to covering our sin. And he, he chooses to cover us with his righteousness to make things right. And then it goes on. He's the one who provides adequate covering. And he goes on, God speaks. The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. What, what does this mean? Man on his own, apart from God, Instead of choosing to trust that God knows what is good, what's right, what's true, what's beautiful, and what's real, now he's going to define it for himself. No, God, I know better. And he's going to pursue these things on his own. He still has a choice. You can listen to God. You can listen to him. Or, or you, and the interesting thing about men, Paul says, you know, is I know what's right. I want to do what's right, but I find this other part of me, this, this fallen nature that just 
doesn't agree and does what it wants to do. The giver of life is rejected. They're unplugged from this relationship, saving relationship with God. And then uh, God says, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. What was the tree of life? If they had taken from the tree of life, they would basically have perpetual life, but in a state of brokenness. Oh, now that would be bad. So God in his graciousness, in his mercy, he blocks the path and he says, man isn't allowed to reach out his hand and take it. Do people try to reach and grab eternal life today? Do we make attempts to earn eternal life today? Yeah. Some people think that maybe by going to church, they will inherit eternal life. If you're here today and you think that because you come to church, you're gonna be right with God, I'm sorry. That's not true. God says you may not reach out your hand and take it. And if you think maybe you don't wanna come to church, maybe you, you, you know people who aren't here, maybe someone who might be listening to this, and they think I don't need to go to church, you know, I, I treat people right. I'm a good person. I don't hurt anybody. And they think that they're going to be okay in the end. We try to reach out and grab what we can't. And yet God has done everything for us to be able to, to reach us. The sad thing in this story is um, the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden. This was the part of the breakup that had to just, oh, had to be hard. They get up and they, you have to walk out of the garden. You have to leave, Adam. Get out. So he gets up and he leaves and after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. I could imagine God's heart just hurting because he loves me. And Adam and Eve hurting. This is a breakup. The good news for us today is that we live in a time when the promised offspring has already come. The covering work of Jesus is done. The question, the question is, what will we do with Jesus? What are we gonna do with him? In this story, we find two trees. We find the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which brought death. And then years later, we find another tree. We find another tree, the cross, which looks dead. And Jesus died on, but it brings life. And just as we were talking about Moses and how he raised up the serpent, can you imagine? The cross is a place where Jesus takes the weapon of the serpent, his fangs, and just nails it to the cross. And that's the picture. So today, as, as we think about life, as we think about your week, as you think about what, you're, what fruit you're taking from, would you consider we have a tree on this side that is dead? And we have a tree on this side that is life. What will you choose? 
Will you choose death or will you choose life? So the rest of that sink story, I didn't forget, um, is I went and talked to the guy and basically I had to tell him, yeah, uh, sir, I broke your sink. And he said, what, what do you mean? I said, I broke it. It's, I broke it. So let's, let's go look at it. So, uh, so we go in and look at it and everything looks okay. And uh, he said, I don't see anything wrong with it. I'm like, yeah, it's broken. So I, I, I lifted it up and you could see it. And uh, so they said, yeah, it's definitely broken. What are we going to do about it? And uh, he and my dad talked a little bit. And I saw my dad open up his wallet and take out a bunch of cash and pay the man what a nine-year-old could never pay. <laughs> and... Uh, um, it was just, you know, dad said, yeah, if there's anything I need to do to cover it up, basically he paid. And that's what Christ does for us. He takes our sins and he pays for them. He pays the price. And he offers us life. So this week as you head out, what are you drinking from? What fruit are you eating? Are you... Uh, eating from a dead tree that brings death or are you drinking from the tree of the cross of Christ that brings life there's a verse in Colossians that says this so then just as you received Christ when we receive Christ we come empty handed we've got nothing to offer so then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord continue to live your lives in him as you go would you continue every day? Come, Lord, it's your price today. Go and live for him. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.